Hey friends, welcome to another edition of the Law and Gospel Devotional. My name is Eric Sorensen. I'm a pastor here at Hillside Church as well as a contributor to 1517 in numerous ways. And each week we gather here, usually on Tuesdays on Facebook and various other social media outlets. But this week, because of a glitch, I couldn't upload on Tuesday. So this is going out on Wednesday morning. Sorry for the inconvenience, but hopefully this edifies you today. Anyhow, a day late. Uh, what we do here is we look at God's word from the perspective of his two words, both his law and his gospel each week, usually by taking a look at an upcoming passage from the Sunday's lectionary texts. And we're going to do that again today. And so uh, as is typical, what we do first is, well, we try to take a look at all the passages that surround the passage we're going to take a deeper look at. And so uh, this Sunday is the second Sunday after Pentecost, and if there's anything that I could say sort of unites all the passages, it really is emphasizing God's peculiar way of insisting that it must be through this bloody and frankly unappealing cross that Christ indeed endures that people are going to be saved, that God is going to do the rescuing of his people from their sins, but it's not necessarily going to be the way that we might naturally expect it to happen as human beings. And more about that in just a little bit. And so Psalm 130 says, you know, I cry out uh, uh, or out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord, like Han grabbing Lando out of the Sarlacc pit in Return of the Jedi. So God comes down to the depths where we are at in our sins and often because of our own sins and saves us through Christ our Lord. You have, of course, the Old Testament passage found in Genesis chapter 3, which is all about the fall into sin. And, of course, also the mention of the Proto-Evangelium. I know it sounds smart to say something in Latin. All that means is the first gospel. What And what's meant by that is it's sort of the first promise that one day God will send the seed of a woman that will crush the head of the serpent, the devil, that had caused his people to fall into sin and has caused so much havoc ever since as a result. So it's a wonderful passage and one of my favorite uh, things to go over. But we're not looking at that this week. And then, of course, the gospel text from Mark chapter 3 is all about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which you might say, well, that doesn't seem like it's all about God's saving people. But indeed, if you look between the lines there and the surrounding context, you do, of course, see that even though the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, at least according to most scholars, is the rejection of Christ basically to the moment of death. And so you are choosing to stand before God in your own righteousness rather than covered by the righteousness of Christ that is one for you. Even though that is the passage and there is stern warnings there, all around it, you do see that God's desire is for no one, obviously, to commit this sin and for all to come to repentance, as the Apostle Peter mentions in his epistle. And so really what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, is well, basically telling God that you don't want it. You're rejecting it. You're putting the hand up and saying, no, thanks. I'm good to go on my own in standing before you. So those are the passages that surround the passage we're going to look at today. What is the passage we're going to look at today? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, to be fair, the epistle text for this Sunday is just from verses 13 to chapter 5, verse 1. But we're going to take the whole chapter of chapter 4 because the, the whole chapter really gives us a beautiful portrait of what it kind of looks like to be a theologian of the cross. Paul, in the way he presents his ministry really presents a beautiful picture of that, and that's what I want to focus on today. 
A little context, in chapter 3, Paul has just gotten done telling the Corinthians of all they've been given in the gospel. Yes, I forgot to put the word given in there, but hopefully you can use your imagination. He's told them all they've been given in the gospel as compared with the law and indeed makes the case that the gospel is greater than the law because of what God has accomplished in Christ for our salvation. We're told in chapter 3, God has saved and forgiven, that God is now approachable, that God indeed is empowering us by his Holy Spirit. And now he will say that this power of God is what has equipped him and his fellow apostles to preach to them. They are indeed theologians of the cross, and Paul is a theologian of the cross par excellence. More on what I mean by that phrase in just a little bit. Um, uh, of course, when we think about the contrast of law and gospel, I always think of this painting referenced in this slide here that Lucas Cronach uh, did, one of, really kind of the painter, the artist of the Reformation. On the left-hand side, you see a presentation of what mankind's fate is under the law, running scared and, and ashamed and afraid. But what is mankind's fate under the gospel? Well, they see God and they see him drawing them near. So it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. So what is a theologian of the cross? Well, Martin Luther uh, really uh, over a series, gave a series of, of theses uh, that we now call the Heidelberg Disputation early on 1518 in the Reformation, in which looking at the writings of Paul, he contrasted what he referenced, what he called a theologian of glory and a theologian of the cross. And essentially, if I could boil it down, a theologian of glory is somebody that wants to emphasize or is drawn to all the aspects of God's, the way we might assume God is, as opposed to who God actually says he is in Scripture. And, and so it's an emphasis to say we're not going to go with what we naturally would think God is like, but we're going to go to what God has actually revealed about himself. And where has he revealed that the most? At the cross. So here's some characteristics of this theologian of the cross par excellence, the Apostle Paul. First of all, a theologian of the cross's source is mercy. Just as Jesse said on Full House, yes, that's an old time reference and you can tell I'm Gen X because of it. Nevertheless, Paul recognizes that his ministry is only in existence because of the mercy of God. And indeed, that is always true for any theologian worth their salt. We never move past that. We never stop being recipients of his mercy. And frankly, any of us who would preach his word or share his word have no right to except for his mercy. And so the apostle writes in verse one, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but it is by the mercy of God, the beginning, middle and end of the Christian's life. And indeed, the theologian's life ought to be centered on and founded in that mercy. It, Luther in, in his Heidelberg Disputation says in Theses 16 through 18, emphasizing this need for mercy, the person who believes that he can obtain grace by doing what is in him adds sin to sin so that he becomes doubly guilty. Now, I won't go into exactly what Luther is referencing there, but when he says um, doing what is in him, this was a common phrase used amongst some of his theological opponents. And the idea was that we could 
um, apprehend grace by doing the best we could. And then afterwards, we get the grace to make up for where we lack. And Luther says, no, no, your effort actually causes more problems apart from Christ. He continues, nor does speaking in this manner give cause for despair, but for arousing the desire to humble oneself and seek the grace of Christ. There you see that need for mercy. It is certain that man must utterly despair of his own ability before he is prepared to receive the grace of Christ. In other words, every one of us to some degree is, is meant to look like the tax collector in the famous parable found in Luke 18, in which the Pharisee kind of touts his own righteousness in the temple, but a tax collector who's far, far too aware of his own sin doesn't even come to the temple, just beats his breast and says, God have mercy on me, the sinner. And Jesus pronounces that man justified. That is to be the posture of the theologian of the cross. We never leave that. It's always there. Secondly, a theologian of the cross's method is proclamation of the word and specifically the word about Christ. We never leave that. We never get tired of that. We never go deeper than that. It always centers on Christ and what the word is telling us about him. So 2 Corinthians 4 verses 2 through 5 says, but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. There's that emphasis on needing to preach the word and sticking to the word, no matter how contrary it might seem at times. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, check our work, see if it lines up with scripture. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are, per per are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You hear the emphasis on preaching Christ. He's saying, yes, it's true. Not everybody believes what we have to say. Some people have been blinded. But for those who have seen by the power of God, they see that the cross is indeed the center, the most important thing. Paul continues, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but again, Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Luther, again, in his Heidelberg Disputation, uh, referencing this proclamation of the cross, the cross, the cross, says in Thesis 21, a theology of glory calls evil good and good evil. A theology of the cross calls the thing what it actually is. What Luther is talking about is the ability to stick with the word no matter what the case may be, that we actually stick to what it actually is. Thesis 25, he is not righteous who does much, but he who without work believes much in Christ. Yes, that's the message we proclaim. He is not righteous who does much, but he who without work believes much in Christ. A theologian of the cross's power is manifested in weakness. We can't help but think about the Apostle Paul just writing a few chapters after this, how God's power was made perfect in his weakness. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient for him. Yes, it is true. It is, it is through our weaknesses. It is through our inabilities that God actually shows that he's doing the verbs. Verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And yet Paul recognizes, even though this light is given to us, we have this message, we have the gospel. What does he say we are? 
but we have this treasure in jars of clay. There's a weakness to us. There's a fragility to us. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Yes. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. The Apostle Paul, in detailing all the struggles he's had, does not, does not shrink away from them, but in fact goes on to say that actually God has done his most impressive work in his ministry through those very weaknesses. It has been through our recognition that it is not our strength, but Christ's strength, that we find any power that we need at all to move forward. Again, Luther, in his Heidelberg Disputation, says, Thesis 19 and 20, that person does not deserve to be called a theologian who looks upon the invisible things of God as though they were clearly perceptible in those things which have actually happened. In other words, we think that we can somehow look behind the veil and figure out the mysterious things of God. And we get all troubled by that um, instead of looking at where God has shown his glory, where he says the glory is to be found, and that is in the supposed weakness of the cross, the seeming weakness of Jesus's cross is where God is most glorified. And so Luther continues, he deserves to be a called a theologian, however, who comprehends the visible and manifest things of God seen through suffering and the cross. There's that emphasis that Paul seems to reference throughout this chapter and really throughout this letter. And so what we see here is really, I think, a beautiful picture so far of, well, the fact that Christ is sufficient. And to that end, let me share with you, I, th I think this would be categorized a meme that I came across some years ago, but I've hung on to it because I think it emphasizes a glorious truth. I'll share it with you just for a few seconds. I won't talk over it just so you can read it. And then we'll go back to finishing our devotion. Yes, indeed, friends, you get the point, I think, of that, that meme is that you can't find anything that you actually need, any victory, any glory, any purpose, apart from that cross of Christ. We insist on preaching that and preaching that alone, as Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, that he decided to know nothing among them except the cross of Christ and him crucified. All right, let's begin to wrap this up. So what is the theologian of the cross's purpose? Well, as I guess this picture of Homer might suggest, that we would decrease and that he would increase. Yes, it is God who gets all the glory. It is God who is doing all the saving, doing all the verbs. And we are merely ambassadors presenting that message. Look at what Paul writes in verses 13 through 15. There's actually a couple different purposes mentioned here. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he 
who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And here's where he gets the purpose statement. For it is all for your sake. So on the one hand, the purpose is that others might be saved by hearing this message. So that as grace extends to more and more people, here's the second purpose. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Yes, the point is that God would get all the glory on account of what Jesus has accomplished. And finally, you have Paul referencing the theologian of the cross's endurance. When preaching the cross seems to be unsuccessful, when it seems that the eyes are veiled, when it seems too hard to go on in the midst of suffering, and you, you're wondering if God is even still there with you or if he's working through you, here's what Paul will say. Verse 16, we do not lose heart Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Notice how when Paul gets his perspective focused on that which is eternal, on that which is revealed in the cross, that it's not merely the cross, but it's also resurrection and ascension, that Paul is able to look at all the persecution, all the struggles he's gone through, and he's gone through an awful lot, and say it's nothing but a light momentary affliction. He continues, For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so... To quote Luther, as we begin to wrap up here, this is the glorious truth that we hang our hats on that gives us the endurance we need. The law says, do this, and it is never done. Grace says, believe in this, and everything is already done. Just as Paul is looking to the promise of eternal life coming, so we too look to the promise of God's word that by his grace he will bring us to that eternal life, that it is already indeed done for us. That is what we hang our hats on as we seek to be people focused on the cross of Christ. And that is what causes us to endure. Last little bit of illustration here. Whenever I think about endurance, I can't help but think about the 1992 Olympics and specifically a British runner named Derek Redmond. Started off the race fast, soon into the race, pulled up with a hamstring injury and was knelt down on the track, unable to really go forward. Nevertheless, he tried to get up, he hobbled, he was determined to finish the race, but it was clear that he just wasn't going to be able to do it. He was, after a little bit of trying, was in tears and was in great pain, probably just as much mentally anguished as he was physically. And then just this wonderful moment took place. As Redmond is sort of hobbling, you see this older man running behind him, sort of battling people, battling these workers of the Olympics that are meant to keep people off the track. And he's pushing them away. And he comes up to Redmond and puts his arm around him and carries him the rest of the way to the finish line. And of course, what we find out later is that that man who carried Redmond to the finish line was his father. And indeed, that is the promise of the word that spurs us forward, that the Father is going to carry us to the finish line. As the Apostle Paul says in his writing to the Thessalonians in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, 
that God has sanctified us and he has promised to complete what he started. He will surely do it as that scripture says. So, so go with that. Be encouraged. I hope you are encouraged by everything that we've uh, talked about today. I pray God's richest blessings upon you this week and look forward to seeing you next week. Bye.